Welcome home, friends. This is Pastor David, and you are listening to the Community Life Podcast. We pray this message is an encouragement to help build your faith and focus your life toward Jesus in His way. We also hope that this podcast is an open door of invitation for you to come and see what God is up to here at Community Life. So plan a visit. We'd love to meet you in person. Lastly, if this is your church home or you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do so by visiting madeforcommunity.com forward slash give. Thanks for listening. So last week, uh, we started a new series for the summer uh, called My Heart Four. And, uh, and the whole premise is that we're giving every teacher an opportunity to share kind of the, the, the unique passion that God has given them to help reveal his goodness out into the world. Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about, um, it's the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36 talks about how for God's people, God removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh for his way, for his kingdom and for his love. The old is gone, the new has come. And so it's this heart, this heart of flesh that God has given us it's filled with focus and motivation that we've asked our teachers to share. And last week, if you missed it, you really missed it because we opened up the series with our former senior pastor, Pastor Bill Flanders. He was here and he did incredible sharing his heart for peacemaking. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast, YouTube, whatever. But it was encouraging and challenging and really just a treat to be able to hear from him again, wasn't it? Amen. It was great. But now you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me for the next couple weeks, um, and I am so happy to be able to share the heart that God has given me, starting first today with my heart for truth. So if you're taking notes today, uh, that's the title of the message, my heart for truth. And if you've been with us for a while, you've probably heard me speak on this before. I was just reflecting on this. It was one of the first messages I ever gave here was early January of 2020. I spoke about the foundation of truth we must have. And then it was actually a year ago this weekend, exactly this weekend, a year ago, that I preached another time on truth uh, when we were in our church people series talking about being a people of truth. And so why am I coming back around? I mean, I, I do care about a lot of things. And so why do I keep coming back to the same message? Why has God given me this heart for truth? Well, it's because I believe that out of everything facing the church and Christians today, out of everything that we are experiencing, and we are experiencing a lot, out of everything facing the church, the single greatest threat, but also the single greatest opportunity flows from our understanding of truth. Everything comes back to truth because no matter where you're from, truth and what you believe to be true is essentially your framework for life. Truth or what you believe to be true is your foundation and starting point that ultimately determines your direction, your decisions, your behaviors, and, and even your beliefs. What your heart and mind call true, not, not theoretically, but ac actually, not just what you want to think is true or what you say with your mouth sometimes is true, but it doesn't back it up with your life. What you actually believe is true in your heart and mind are you, is, is your anchor for life that, that charts a course for all that comes next. Truth is the anchor for our life. 
and it charts the course for all that comes. For example, and if you were here in 2020, um, I'm sure that you memorize all of my messages, so you're going to be like, Pastor David, why are you sharing this story again? But it's just so good. So, for example, back in 2020, I told you a story about when I was younger. Um, in the process of elimination when I was uh, growing up, I tried out a whole lot of different jobs, um, all of which taught me something, but none of them actually stuck. So I waited tables, I worked at Subway, yes, I was a sandwich artist starting at age 14, okay? And I want you to know, I want you to know, I was there before Subway started serving pizza. I don't know what that's all about, but it was like the original you gouge from the sandwiches. Do you remember that early Subway? No? I see a couple heads nodding. I'm just a passionate man for sandwiches, I guess. Anyway, so I, I worked, waited tables, worked at Subway. I answered phones at a call center, which was absolutely terrible. I installed carpet for summers. I worked at a daycare. And lastly, I was a roofer. That's right. I was a roofer. Now, in case you've enjoyed what roofs give you, but you don't really understand how roofs work, let me just... Let me just share that with you quickly. The whole idea for a roof is keeping water and weather out of your structure. But to keep water and weather out of your structure, you need to make sure that shingle number one, and then shingle number two, and then shingle number three, they all overlap one another. So there's no gaps. Makes sense, I know. You could all help us with some future roofing projects here at the church now. But listen, what's tricky is to make sure that the rows of shingles aren't just uh, straight vertically, but also that they would be straight horizontally. And this is the job of roofing, and the whole process of keeping these lines straight, Norm, you know this, is, is calling it true. That you would have a true line. Isn't that interesting? True being defined as accurate, unerring, unswerving, within, without deviation. And so what we would do uh, in this process to ensure that we would have true roofs on our houses, accurate, unerring, unswerving, without deviation, is we would create what's called a constant, an authority or a baseline that everything else would build on and flow from. And so we lay our first shingle on the edge of the roof. This was the anchor for the roof. And then from there, we'd shoot that first row across all the way. And from there, we would measure, from that first row, we'd measure six inches all the way up the roof, essentially creating this grid or this framework that all of the other shingles would be built on. And as long as the starting point, the anchor, and that constant was true, everything flowed toward the desired end. But okay, I was young, and I remember this one time when I was first getting started on, uh, on putting roofs on houses. Um, I set the anchor, and then I put in that first row. And then I started making my measurements up the roof. But instead of the perfect six-inch rows, I must have slipped towards the end. And, and it was about a half inch off. Now, now, you might be thinking, it's just a half inch. What's the big deal? It's just a half inch. And you're right, a half inch isn't a big deal. But friends, a half inch every six inches over the course of 30 feet Okay, it amounts to more than a foot of drift. A foot of drift from where I wanted to be, from where I intended to be. A foot off course because I didn't stay true to my starting point, okay? To my constant. And listen, I, I know that most of us will never have to roof our own houses, but this illustration remains true. 
and only goes to show what can happen, maybe not over the 30 feet of a roof line, but over 30 years in a lifetime. 30 years in a lifetime when we lose sight of our anchor, when we lose sight of our constant, when our lines for living aren't drawn true. What happens? We drift. We drift, all of us. We drift in and out of faithfulness, even with the best of intentions. We drift off course slowly but surely and find ourselves in places we never thought we'd be. We find ourselves with behaviors and convictions and decisions and belief that would once seem totally impossible when we first started, right? Guys, I have friends, I know you do too. I have friends who started their journey with God so faithfully, but eventually began to welcome alternate voices for truth. And now they've completely deconstructed and abandoned faith altogether. I have friends who started their marriage so strong, but eventually compromised what they confessed to be true and it led them down to a path of divorce. And, and at the start, at the start, these realities they now occupy would have seemed absolutely impossible. They would have been so impossible, totally crazy, but now it's their new normal. Why? Because they lost, they lost sight of their anchor. They lost sight of their constant and what they confessed to be true. But, but none of this is new, right? This drift that we see and that we experience has been plaguing the world ever since the garden. When for the very first time, people, Adam and Eve in the garden, in the beginning, uh, they decided that they knew better than God. That they knew better, that they had the capacity to choose right and to choose truth, which ushered in the very first sin. What was the very first sin? Eating the apple? Absolutely not. It was idolatry of self. This was the very first sin when humanity believed they were equals with God and began crafting their own story instead of settling into God's greater narrative of creation and redemption. So that's how it all started. But it's still happening. Nothing's changed in our world and even in us. We're all so gifted at making things about us. Nervous laughter. We're all so gifted at making things about us and believing that we're the center of the stories. We're all so good and gifted at drifting from our anchor, which is why I believe God gave me this heart for truth. Because there's nothing more important in your life. And if, if you re remember one thing today, let it be this. There is nothing more important in your life than discovering what's true and why. There is nothing more essential in your life of obedience as a Christian than ident identifying your anchor for what's true and where it leads. So what can we do as we drift in this world? What can we do? And more importantly, how can we know and understand what's true when our starting point isn't, isn't always common with one another as we're constantly receiving mixed messages everywhere we look? What can we do and, and how can we know? Because again, we are living in a world that embraces the elasticity of truth. We are living in a time where truth has shifted from being discovered to being decided. We live in a world where truth has shifted from absolutes rooted in proof, confession, and orthodoxy to an emotional response to a theoretical perspective. As we're instructed by the world to find our own truth, 
If we just look inside and find our own truth, this is where we're at. So back again, what can we do? How can we know and how can we remain true? How can we remain true to the life of faith God saved us for? That's what I want to cover today. Sound good? Everyone give me a big smile, okay? Everyone give me, because this is going to be good now, okay? Everyone is optimistic moving forward, okay? You got to address the problem first and then you can address the solution. So here we go. If you have your Bibles, follow me quickly to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. And uh, this is something that we have been talking about for a while, um, specifically when we talk about how we participate in God's mission as a church. We find truth and how we know. And so back again, just real quick. I, I know what my job is here. I know I'm up here and you're down there. And um, and I know that I'm the pastor, but I don't want this to be me, me just telling you what to think today. Uh, everyone in the world is trying to tell you what to think. And so I simply today want to point you to truth and where to find it. Amen. And then give you some tools so you can in turn discover and remain steady to your confession. Sound good? Awesome. So from the top, looking to Matthew 28, I truly believe that if we're going to be a people defined by truth... It all comes down to a single word, and that single word is authority. Yes. Big smile on my face talking about authority. And I know when I say this word authority, some of us are starting to feel the walls come in a little bit. Rebecca and I, after our date last night in Pasadena, we were driving up the 210, and, um, and we were you know, going the appropriate speed limit, and we started to see all of these authorities behind us. Okay. And the lights would flick on and we'd be like, ah, uh, and then they would zoom past. Okay, so I get it. I understand what authority means in our world today. But, uh, but, but instead of seeing it as limiting or confining, what if we began to see it as a freedom? So if we want to find what's true, we need to first ask the question, who actually has the authority to decide what's true? We get hit with mixed messages every single day, all day, as we make our way through this world of flexible, inclusive truth. And so who gets to decide? And not just for you, but for me, what's true? Who gets to decide for the rest of us what it means to, to live true? For truth to be true, it needs to be absolute, and that means there needs to be an authority for it. So who decides? Who gets to make the final call when our truths contradict or at odds with one another? This is Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 20. So Jesus, he's there uh, speaking to his followers, his, his people. He just rose from the dead, but before leaving for heaven, he calls a quick meeting to give them a foundation, a constant for what comes next. And he says this, starting in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Verse 18, one more time. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Amazing. Now, from the passage that we just heard, from the book that we as Christians believe to be true and from God, the Bible. Someone tell me quickly, who has the authority? Jesus. Come on, that was easy, right? 
My boy up in church kids could answer that one. Now let's keep it going. Verse 18. Uh, where, uh, where does Jesus have authority when we look at that passage? Heaven and earth. Wow, you guys are knocking it out of the park. What? Tell me, what exists outside of heaven and earth? Nothing. Don, am I accurate? Our rocket scientist in the room, right? Nothing exists outside of heaven and earth. Beautiful. Okay, cool. So Jesus essentially has authority over what? Everything. Okay, this feels good. Everything we can see and everything we can't see. Why? Well, we just confessed this together with Pastor Jeff from Colossians chapter 1 during communion. Why does Jesus have authority? Because Colossians chapter 1, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. This is the end. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Verse 18, he is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. And y'all, I just love this passage. Out of all the scriptures, Colossians is my life book because of this encouragement right here. Jesus has authority because he is the beginning. Jesus has authority because he is the first. Everything was crafted by him and for him. He is the start. He is the source. He is the first piece and true cornerstone of the house of faith that God is building. There is nothing outside of Jesus' authority in heaven or on earth. And so authority, this authority, must be our anchor and our constant for what's true. If you want to find truth, your faith will tell you to look to Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you want to find truth, look to Jesus. He even confirms this in the scriptures a number of times, specifically in the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and 14. Check it out. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, does anyone in the house believe in Jesus? Then listen up. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's John 14, John, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul, the Apostle Paul, great hero of faith, he goes on to teach the same thing in Ephesians chapters one and four, it'll be on the screen. He says, you too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Not to be God. Think back to Genesis chapter 3. The point is not to be God. The point is to be like God so we can show the world what God is like, truly righteous and holy. And friends, if you're a Christian, I say this a lot today because I'm speaking to the Christians in the house. If you're a Christian, then this is your reality that you occupy and it must be your framework. Jesus is the boss of all things. Jesus is our anchor. Hebrews chapter six says that Jesus is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Just picture that roof line for a second, right? 
He is the source. He is the constant. The hope of Jesus leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary to our greatest possible end. Jesus is our anchor. Jesus is the constant for truth, and he has authority over all things, all the time, which means everything else. Somebody say the word everything for me. Everything else must live in surrender to this authority and support what he says is true and create it to be true. Everything must surrender. And this means everything. It means your feelings. It means your, your logic. It means your reasoning, your prejudice. It means your desires and your favorites. It means your loves. It means your past and your future. It means your skepticism, your politics, and even what might seem unfair. Everything in heaven and on earth, which includes us, must surrender to the authority of Jesus. If you want to have a heart for truth, this is our first step. If you want to have a heart for truth, which, which includes a story that ends in heaven, it all starts with acknowledging the authority of Jesus and from there beginning to live in reply. Acknowledging the authority of Jesus, step one, and then living in reply. Okay, but what does this mean practically? What does it look like for us to live with God as our authority? How can we know we're walking the straight line? Well, I've got three simple practices that we can all embrace to grow our heart for truth, and they're all found in my favorite book, the book of Colossians chapter two. So let's read this opening scripture one more time. We're just gonna be reading the first section of it. This is the Apostle Paul writing to God's people, and he says this. And now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. So three things to do to have a heart for truth. And if you're a Christian, listen up. First, Know the truth, seek the truth, and show the truth. Say that with me real quick, it's on the screen. Know the truth, seek the truth, show the truth. One more time, Lori, I need, Lori, Lori, say this with me, come on, I need to hear you. Are you ready? Know the truth, seek the truth, show the truth. I love you, Lori. No seek, show, let's, let's get into it. And I'm watching the clock, don't you worry. Starting with no. Paul says in verse seven, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. Paul is saying we must first know the truth you were taught. Ephesians chapter one, you too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. It all starts with knowing the truth. How can we know the truth? Jesus told us, John 14, I am the way, the truth. John 8, you are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How can we know? You know the truth when you listen to your authority. You know the truth when you listen to what your authority has said. But how can we possibly know what Jesus said? Yeah? There you go. Okay, I love it. I love it. The first piece in our framework of truth is to read your Bibles. If you're a Christian 
And you are part, this, then part of your confession is, again, this book is, is true and it's real. And this is the authoritative written word from the authoritative living word of God. Paul breaks this down in 2 Timothy. It'll be on the screen when he says this. You must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they're true for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught by the Holy, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. It's the end, 16. All scripture is inspired by God and useful what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. It keeps us true. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Friends, if you want to know what is true and live true lives in reply, read what your authority has said. Open your Bibles, open your Bibles. But Pastor David, what about all the stuff that Jesus doesn't talk about? Gee, Pastor David, what about all the, the current social and political realities that we're facing today? What about, what about all the facts that might disprove what we see in the scriptures? I mean, how can we even know this book is true? Good question. Let me start by saying, if you read your Bible, if you actually read it, okay, this is a big part of it, if you actually read it, cover to cover, you'll see that it addresses the vast majority of questions you might have for what's true. You don't have to search hard to see what the Bible has to say about love. You don't have to search hard to see what the Bible and God, God's word has to say about politics and sex and money and forgiveness and family and gender and creativity and divorce and ecology and biology and adoption and poverty and education and redemption and equality and equity and wisdom and generosity and the value of human life and the importance of creation care. This is our world that God has made. The value of eating together, the cure for bitterness and, and even what it takes to just be a decent person. You don't have to look far to find the answers. The Bible has you covered if you're a Christian. And anything it doesn't speak to specifically, it gives you instructions for how to engage with generally. The scriptures say, our authority says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is the truth that we've been given. Quick to listen, let the sink. Slow to speak, and slow to be angry. This is the truth we've been given. It's the first step is to simply know it. God has spoken. The truth is available. Dig in. If you need help, Google will tell you too, okay? If you have a question, seriously, Google like politics Bible verses. I know. Well, don't do that one yet, okay? <laughs> God has spoken. The truth is available. Dig in. And while many Christians, you know, interpret what God said from different angles, I believe that if we approach the scriptures with humility, like he instructs us to, in community, not on an island, not in a vacuum, and in submission to our authority, who is Jesus, I truly believe God will lead us to be one in heart and mind. Now, how, how is that possible? How can God lead this crazy fellowship of difference when we're all getting blasted by messages from the world? Well, that's, that's number two. 
That God brings us together, not just by knowing what he said, but by seeking what he's saying. Not just knowing what he said, but seeking what he's saying. We must continue to seek the truth. Colossians chapter two, one more time says, and now that just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, now that you know him and his way, you must continue to follow him, to seek him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. God has spoken in the scriptures, amen, but I need you to understand that God is still speaking through the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus, our authority, even tells us in John 16, right? Jesus says that it's better for him to go because when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you about what he heard from who? From Jesus. He will tell you about the future. Friends, if you're a Christian, I say this again, then the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. The spirit of truth lives within you and wants to lead you to all truth from God. He wants to tether you to your anchor who is Jesus and help you keep your lines straight by teaching you everything that Jesus told him to remind you of what's real. So how does this play out? How does this play out? First, a number of ways. First, the Holy Spirit is speaking truth that we need to seek. The Holy Spirit is speaking truth by being clarity to what God has already said in the scriptures. Second, the Holy Spirit is speaking truth through prayer and spending time with God in presence. Number three, the Holy Spirit is speaking through prophecy. Do you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the spiritual gifts? The Spirit speaks through prophecy and encouragement and tongues the Spirit speaks through sermons. The Spirit speaks through community discernment. The Spirit speaks through dreams and visions and signs and wonders. It's true, I know that might sound wild, but the Spirit can speak truth however the Spirit wants to. The Spirit can speak truth through music and art and over a good meal, at church, in nature, at the beach, and even in the car on your way to work. In fact, a quick story. Um, a number of years ago, when we were in Wisconsin, I was, I was making my way to work and I pulled up to a red light and out of nowhere, I, I just sensed that God was trying to get my attention. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. And I, I hold this very loosely with open hands, okay? Because I hesitate to say regularly, God told me so, right? Or God spoke to me, but, but, I, but I pass this through a level of discernment with friends. And, and anyway, so, so in this moment, I'm sitting there I felt God trying to get my attention. And the only thing that kept popping through my mind was this unshakable phrase. And it was, what do you believe I think about you? What do you believe I think about you? And I was sitting there like, like what? What? What, is it? what does this mean? What do you believe I think about you? And so I brought it before trusted friends through pastors, and I said, I, I just believe that God asked me this question, and I don't know why. And so at this moment began one of the greatest faith discoveries of my life as I began really leaning into identity and the truth of how God sees me and how he sees you, his church. See, at the time when I was pastoring this church, I was surrounded by a ton of young Christians um, new to faith, um, and they were receiving truth, good, good, but from a number of different sources. 
And, and the overwhelming message that they were receiving and holding on to, just digging into, was that, that they were wretched sinners. These are new believers. And the only information they were welcoming into their life was, was how sinful they used to be. And they just couldn't wrap their heads around how God might love them with all the garbage they did. So here I am, right, receiving this encouragement from the Lord, asking the question that would ultimately shape the future of this church. What do you believe I think about you? And it was through this question, this prompting from the Spirit, that I was able to help them see truth. That if you're a Christian, then God sees you just like he sees Jesus. That if you're a Christian, then he sees you like a son or a daughter in his house. He sees you as family forever. And yeah, once you were dead in your sin, but now you're alive because of him. So don't go on believing in incomplete truth. Now keep seeking what God is saying. Keep seeking what God is saying because the Holy Spirit will lead us to truth by speaking the truth of Jesus, a promise that has been given us by God. So we must continue to seek the truth of God that lives within. And, and just a heads up for anyone that's a little apprehensive because this has caused some serious issues in the church um, and in the world. Please know that as we seek truth, the Holy Spirit will never say today something in contradiction to what God has said before. Okay? And so we see whole offshoots of the church and denominations and other things forming because people feel like they get this special download that, that like completes this book. But this book is already done. And this is what God has said. And so the Holy Spirit will never lead us in contradiction to what the Bible has already said. So as we seek truth, it's essential that we already have a firm foundation of knowing truth to build our scripture and our life upon. So the spirit will never contradict the scripture. Still, if we want to have a heart that's true, we must seek the truth. And as we do, we're just about finished. As we do, as we continue to follow him and let our roots grow down deep into him, Colossians chapter two, as the anchor and source for our authority. Step number three is it's then that our faith will grow strong in the truth we've received and we will overflow with thankfulness. It's then, as we submit to our authority, acknowledge our authority, as we, as we know the truth and seek the truth, it's then that we will begin to show the truth. God does not want you to keep his truth a secret. God does not want you to keep it in like a mystery to protect. Now, God wants his truth to overflow from your life. That we would be, that we would put on our new nature created to be like God so we might show the world what God is really like. So we might show them and speak the truth that we have found. And while this is a discipline to show the truth, it's a decision we make, it really is intended to be a natural overflow from the inside out of the goodness of God working through your life. Ephesians 4 says it like this, that as we follow Jesus and his truth, verse 14, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, it's on the screen, verse 15, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Instead, we will speak and show the truth of God as we let our roots grow down deep into him. Jesus, our true authority. 
And I know that most of us have heard this verse before, but I really have to emphasize that our job is not just to speak or to show the truth we found, but we're to speak it on behalf of our authority, in love. And that's because truth is more than just a collection of facts. Truth is more than just a collection of observations. Anyone can find facts. Truth, real truth, is facts infused with the love of God as it lives within the redemptive reality of God's kingdom. I'm going to say that one more time, and I think I've got it on the screen. This is my best definition for truth. Truth, facts, infused with the love of God as it lives within the redemptive reality of God's kingdom. And this is how we're called to know, seek, and show. And I wonder, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up this conversation, I wonder how many of you know that you are more than the world says about you. I wonder how many of you know that you are more than a collection of facts, a collection of reports and mistakes and successes. You know, where the truth might look at you and say that you are a sum of your parts and that you are a collection of A, B, and C, and if A, B, and C, then they equal brokenness or a lost cause or, or, or whatever. But the reality is the truth of God sees you as loved, redeemable, and future son and daughter of God's house. That maybe once you were dead, absolutely, but now you're alive within this reality of heaven. And that's the truth and love that we are called to bring, that we're called to show and tell. And so when we see someone drifting, especially other Christians, when we see someone drifting, we all have the power and the responsibility to speak and show the truth of God like God would. And then invite them into the better way of Jesus. This is what it means to have a heart for truth. First, we acknowledge Jesus as our authority. Second, that we, would, that we would know what he said in the scriptures. And when we say acknowledge, one more time, um, when we say acknowledge, we acknowledge that, that absolute truth exists and that it's determined by an authority, and that authority is Jesus. Um, and we believe that, G, that Jesus reigns above it all. We just sang it. You reign above it all, you reign above it all, right? We just read it in Colossians as well. And so that's the first step. And then we discover our authority's truth by knowing what he said in the scriptures. And we continue to seek what he is saying through the Holy Spirit that now lives within. Why? To what end? So we can show the truth of God to the world and invite them into this redemptive reality of heaven. And this is the heart that God gave me for truth, for his church and for the world, a heart for truth. Now, as we, as we close today, it's likely that we all find ourselves kind of on different points of this journey, different starting points and different places within this, this wide spectrum of truth that the world seems to sell us. And, and that tracks, I'm not here to tell you where you should be, only to point you back to the anchor. I wanna point you back to Jesus today. And while I could have given you a 10 step plan for how to walk the straight and narrow, um, it was always my intent in my heart to simply refocus your heart on who is in charge. Because that's really what I have a heart for. Truth is a, a byproduct of authority. And so maybe I should have called this my heart for authority. My heart for Jesus. And so my heart is that you would simply refocus your heart and your mind 
on who's in charge, and then allow that shift to inspire knowing and seeking and showing. So we're going to sing a song in just a minute, a song that I would venture to say 99% of us know in the room. And so if Nathaniel and Tracy, I think you're going to come up and lead us in this kind of closing time. But it's really a song of focus, a song of acknowledging, a song of surrender, a song that calls us back to our confession, our confession of faith. And so we might live true in reply. But before we do, let me pray for you that God would grow in you a heart for his truth. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe that you're real, that you're good, that you love us, you lead to peace, and you are in charge. God, we claim your authority and we claim your supremacy today. We acknowledge all of that. And we ask that you would just continue to open our eyes to the truth that you have given us. God, give us a heart to know you. Give us a heart to know your truth and what you said. Give us a heart to continue seeking, God. We have received your spirit of truth, God. Help us become more aware of your presence as you're working to lead us. And then God, give us the courage to live in reply. Give us the courage to actually go and live true lives rooted and tethered to the anchor of Christ. God, we acknowledge that we acknowledge that we drift. So God, today we ask that you would just put up some guardrails. God, we ask that you would just put the right measures in place, the right people in our lives to keep us on track, that we might live lives of truth for you. So Jesus, is in your name that we pray. And we all said, amen.